Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 267. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of She-Hulk Attorney at Law episode 8, Ribbit and Rip It, directed by Kat Coiro, written by Cody Ziegler. She-Hulk Attorney at Law was created for television by Jessica Gao, and it is a Kevin Feige production. Before our spoiler review begins, I want to let you know about Fan Show Plus, where you can hear us talk about extra MCU topics like that brand new trailer for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. You can find Fanshow Plus exclusively for premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts if you search for Fanshow Plus or the MCU Fan uh, Fan Show channel. You can find it there and subscribe. And then make sure you're following us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fanshow on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts, if you have already left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for doing that. And now, on with our show. Paul Herman, you ready to rivet and rip it? I am ready to rivet and rip it, and uh, I have a lot to say about the... uh this character but we'll, yeah we'll obviously get into that in here in a second what's in a name is uh i know gonna be a, a topic here as we talk about not frogman but leapfrog and that actually is our opening of this episode so we can get right into it for she hulk episode eight or actually you know what let me keep uh keep format semi-consistent here um with, with uh, a few opening overall thoughts on this episode I think I have a new favorite, Paul. I think episode eight is my new favorite episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, mm. surpassing somehow, uh, even though there's no, besides the previously on, Banner Hulk in this episode, Daredevil was able to uh, to tip the scales in the favor of this one, but not just because Daredevil appeared. There was a lot of great She-Hulk stuff in this one. Great moments mm-hmm. for Jennifer Walters that are very mm-hmm. key in her emotional character arc, but then also the superhero of it all, came to the forefront here. Like she gets to wear her super suit, be a superhero, interact with another superhero. All of those things work. I thought this episode was firing on on almost all cylinders. Um, yeah, you know, Leapfrog was whatever, but <laughs> but as a device to connect Jennifer Walters and Matt Murdock uh, worked on that level for me. So I, I thought this was a really, really great, entertaining episode that did... What this series has been doing at its best is it has been funny and entertaining in in all the ways that that it can be uh, on the surface. But then below that, you see uh, a lot of depth in a lot of emotional depth in the storytelling and the character work, uh, specifically with Jennifer Walters, that I thought was really, really great. And also, this felt like kind of going back to the very first episode this just really illustrates the beauty of the MCU. And when you can have these crossovers and these characters connect, there's a certain electricity. And I'm not just talking about the undeniable romantic chemistry between Tatiana Maslany and Charlie Cox as Jennifer Walters and Matt Murdock, respectively. There's just something else about it when you see two actors who do such an amazing job playing their respective superheroes and individual projects kind of coming together and you see that becoming, you know, the whole is even greater than the sum of its parts. Like, there's just something really special there that uh, that I was feeling with Jennifer Walters and Matt Murdock before Jen even called it out at, in, in the bar when she talked about it to camera. I'm not the only one feeling this, right? No, she wasn't. You could feel it the whole time. Not just the romantic chemistry, the superhero chemistry. Uh, She-Hulk and Daredevil was a great pairing this week. 
I it just I, I gotta tell you guys, everyone listening, I, I love the series a lot. It, it's it it has a couple of misfires here or there, but for the most part, this series has been surpassed all my expectations. And I'm not sure if I just kind of bought into some of the rumors of like the, the people said the series was in trouble before. But after watching majority of the series, we have the season finale, and I'm hoping it sticks to landing because Marvel Studios TV shows have not always stuck to landing for the most part. Uh, it seems to have been pretty inconsistent that way. I'd say but that's my biggest thing overall, um, with the exception of, I'd say, of the Loki series, which is, which is I think, ironic because a lot of people upset because of their, you know, it uh, kind of uh, – it kind of switched, it, uh, switching, switched the, 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 the idea of a finale up a little bit, which I liked. Um, but anyway, I digress. I I think She-Hulk is might be my favorite Marvel series next to WandaVision. WandaVision is going to be top top to, to to beat. I think is it's I think an artistic achievement. But next to that, I think it surpassed Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier for me. Now, Sean, this but this episode it firmly did that because I just love the world building expansion you could say of this. And I think with this episode, it it just really shows you the strength of I think what the character of She-Hulk is. Uh, the di- the dynamics of the character of, of her supporting cast, and I think of what you can do with these fun little thirty minute episodes. And and again, they're not always going to hit, I think, but this episode in particular really shows you the advantages of doing that. And honestly, I think besides obviously No Way Home showing you you know Matt reintroducing Matt Murdock in a very small way, this introduces Matt Murdock in a very big way, the best way. And it's such a perfect introduction to this new version of Dare. And I say new with air quotes. You can't see them, but I'm going to tell you right now, there are air quotes around new because it's it's very it feels very much in that uni- in the same universe from what he came from in Netflix, right? For me anyway. And it doesn't seem too far off, but it fits perfectly within the balance of this different, you know, because Netflix was a different I mean, let's be, let's be real here, people. It's it's hoodie costumes. It's hoodie. The hoodie saved money. It's all, it, it, but it's good. It was well-written, but it definitely had a different aesthetic to it than the MCU, just from a style point, right? And I think that this really bridges the gap, and this is what it is. It was This is the bridge of the Netflix to the MCU, and I think that this the No Way Home was the introduction. This is the bridge, and to me, it was a, a very successful bridge. I loved every minute of this episode. This is like what you said, Sean. They call it out in the episode. You can't make up chemistry. And I don't know if that that um, fourth wall breaking that the um, that Jen does in the episode is was was something they did afterwards. I don't know. But either way, if they did, they had a lot of guts. It takes a lot of gold to like yeah, say you exactly. know to do like, that. We wrote it in the script and we shot this saying this chemistry is amazing and we just got to hope the audience agrees because otherwise we're going to be caught paying ourselves a compliment that we don't deserve. And so, yeah, I don't. They did it. Yeah, they they, they nailed it. I don't know. It it does make it would be a good question. Like, does that I mean, they're in the legalese set, which I'm sure was in. I think they did most of the production in Atlanta. So I'm guessing they filmed it you know, while they were filming everything else, part of the regular principal photography. But I guess my question would be, is that line already there in the production draft or shooting draft of the script? Or is that something on the day where everybody's kind of picking up on it and they're like, let's add this? You know, that's that would be a question that I would have as far as when they decided to to throw that line in there. Because, yeah, you're totally calling your shot like but it's not it's not the same thing as even saying you're going to hit a home run you're telling the audience you've already hit a home run (laughs) yes yes, you don't know if you actually have until they agree so um yeah it it was 
it was incredible to watch the two of them together. And, and I had a preview of that. The rooftop scene is the one they show of them kind of debating goons versus henchmen and, and what approach to take, you know, She-Hulk smash versus stealth. That was the clip they showed at D23 Expo. And I was just completely taken aback in, in watching it. It just I don't know why it would be surprising. Like it really shouldn't be because these are two great actors, Tatiana Maslany, Charlie Cox, great actors in and outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it really shouldn't be a surprise that they would be great together, but it doesn't always work like that. It doesn't, that, that chemistry doesn't just come from putting two great actors together. There's just something special that can come out of that when there does seem to be some sort of connection or some, or whatever it may be between the performers. And we're just seeing that like something that you can't just, you can't just manufacture it as easily as put two talented people on set together. Uh, there's just another level that actors can reach. And that's what we saw. At least that's certainly what uh, you and I saw in this episode, but let's go through uh, the beats of this episode. We open with not Frogman, but Leapfrog or the Guard Frog. Uh, Eugene Patilio, as played by Brandon Stanley, he interrupts a uh, a TV robbery, burglary, whatever you would want to call it, as these uh, as these guys are debating OLED versus QLED, and uh, things do not go well for Leapfrog because when it's time to ribbit and rip it, his suit catches on fire. And he's injured. And then we cut to him in Jen Walter's office stating his case that uh, he should be able to sue for this suit malfunction. And Jen, um, despite the client, doesn't ask what should be an obvious question. And that's going to come back to bite Jen in the courtroom later on. Uh, but anyway, uh, Jen says, yeah, you have a case here. The problem is the case is against the person who made the suit. And that is Luke Jacobson, who makes all of Jen's clothes. Uh, and so that uh, creates another conflict for Jen Something she's used to, though, as Holloway calls out, she's signed a conflict waiver before for something much more severe, of course, with the case of Emil Blonsky. So it really shouldn't be a problem for She-Hulk to take this case against her tailor, her designer, Luke Jacobson. And that is the beginning of our plot for uh, for the episode. So before we move forward, Paul, I know you have some thoughts on this. I have no personal attachment to the name Frogman whatsoever, so it sure. doesn't. It does not bother me that they call him Leapfrog instead. I would imagine this feels to me though like why would you make that switch? Because Frogman actually feels like a perfectly fun and silly name for the purposes of mm -hmm. this show. This feels mm -hmm. like a I don't know like a clearance thing to me, or well, I mean I'm sure they can clear the name Frogman, but maybe it was a thing where like they wanted to have more ownership of it because Frogman is so generic. Um, that you mm -hmm. can't really trademark it across every brand or whatever the case may be. Um, right. I don't know, because there are characters who are like that. And you can tell uh, because when they refer to them like comics or when Hasbro makes an action figure of them, they, if, it's a, if it's a popular name that can be used by somebody else, they call it Marvel's blank. So in this case, mm -hmm. it would be Marvel's Frogman as opposed to trademarking the name Leapfrog. So I wonder if it was something... Some, you know, to take a, a page from this uh, from this show, some legalese type of thing that, mm, that caused the mm. name change, or they just like the name Leapfrog better. I don't know the how and why of it exactly. I could speculate as I just did, but really, I don't care. It's a ridiculous guy in a ridiculous suit, and it worked yes. for me on that level. Okay, there's a couple different things. Um, first of all, uh, Leapfrog actually is technically the first incarnation of the character because in the comic books, it's actually his dad is named Leapfrog, and he mm. has the costume, and he fights Daredevil, ironically. So that's so that was kind of surprising to me. That's why I was like, what? 
because they I knew they were going because I saw like the listing on IMDb. They're going with his son. His, his name is Eugene. So I was like, okay. And in the comic books, just a quick little history lesson: the Frogman character, the Eugene character, he is the son of a supervillain that was a, only showed up like once and fought Daredevil and then 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 bailed. And then uh, JMD Mateus, one of my favorite writers ever, brought him uh, the Leapfrog character back, but used his son to become the Frogman. And that's what he, you know, he was like, I, I want to be a crime fighter. He's a younger crime fighter, but very much like we saw in this episode, he can't do anything right. And he gets, you know, gets in the way, but he's a lot more endearing than the version we get. He's a lot more nicer. He's not, he's, he's not like a, a, a big jerk. He's just kind of a, a big idiot basically. Um, so, but he basically would like, he would solve and, and fight crime and, and accidentally win basically is what would happen. So, I say all that to be like, I was a little bummed out because I thought it would be more of that endearing character and it wasn't. So that was kind of disappointing. But then I thought about it and we'll get into a little bit towards the end, but I think there might be, you're probably right. I think to an extent, maybe Sean, but I also think there could be doing something maybe later on where if they do have a second season, cause he goes by leapfrog first. And as we know, there was legal problems with that. Right? So Maybe he uses that frogman name later because it kind of hints at like maybe he he saw the error of his ways at the end of the episode. But we'll get into that in a second. But I think that's maybe where they could be going with it. I don't know. I think Leapfrog is kind of is whatever. But I prefer it's, Frogman personally, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean, Frogman is a name that matches the ridiculousness of the suit and the whole like concept of the character, including the the lily pad hideout, which I loved that was awesome yes i i, I agree no, but, but but this for the record everything yeah. else i felt was 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 great i actually love the interpretation of the costume that's why i think i'm so disappointed that because i just love the name frogman when i was a kid there's a specific comic i expect uh spider-man like 189 something it's around around there jamie dimatea salvasema right after like big dark series of like green goblin comics and vermin they did this one shot um frogman issue where they brought frogman back and leapfrog comes back his dad comes in it's it's a super fun it's super fun episode or comic and i that's where i i discovered the character and i loved him and no one cared about him and, and so like i got they made a marvel legends figure of him which i have hanging up here and i love him so i have an affinity for him bring the name back I'm a, i love the name frogman please but yeah i i did like the interpretation of the character as far as the aesthetic of the costume yeah and i also just like the the setup of this character of and I actually think it's setting up bigger things for Jennifer Walters, by the way, the fact that she Agreed. does not want to take on this client and she's told that she has to, which this, by the way, in her very relatively short time at GLK and H, like she keeps having to take on cases she doesn't actually want to take um, and keeps having to work with clients she does not want to work with. Now, depending on what happens next week, it turned out OK with Emil Blonsky. Obviously not quite so uh, okay with Eugene Patilio, but has to take the case because he is an important client. His dad is an important client at GLKNH. I did like Holloway's Yes, Ribbit and Ribbit Indeed. That was a good delivery <laughs> by Steve Coulter, the actor there. Uh, that I got a kick out of. But I certainly think, especially with what also happens at the end of this episode and some of the things that Jen and Matt talk about, I think we are setting up Jennifer Walters leaving GLK and H for her own practice, uh, which is also a thing that happens in the comic book. So it uh, definitely seems like those seeds are being planted and, uh, you know, Jen will probably be seeking new employment. I think probably by the end of next week's episode, um, you know, because she'll see the advantages of having the private practice or she's already seeing that uh, with her conversation with Matt Murdoch. 
Uh, but we will get to that in just a little bit. So Jen has to go visit Luke Jacobson, take an early look at her gala dress. Uh, but really, she's also there, unfortunately, on business to try and get Luke to settle ahead of time. So that way, nobody has to file a legal case against him or any of those things. Conversation does not go well. Luke rightfully takes offense to the notion that his uh, his suit would have had a manufacturer defect. And we will find out that Luke was right. Uh, I really liked uh, Luke in this uh, in this scene. Griffin Matthews, the actor playing Luke Jacobson. I loved his blocked, blacklisted, and reported line. The exit line was great. Goodbye tragedy uh, that he says to Jen as she walks out. Fantastic. And I do love that for Jen, like because of, as she put it, her unique physique, that this is, even though Holloway says, well, it's kind of a bigger conflict waiver that there was a guy who tried to kill your cousin. It's like, yeah, that was years ago. But Jen has a very present struggle with clothes. And the one guy who was making her clothes that, that were mm. working for her uh, she, that relationship is going to uh, is going to become strained, but I, I did feel like for some of this stuff, though, if I had one knock on this episode, it's very the obvious question that's sitting right here with the defect is, well, did you actually follow the instructions? What did you put in the suit? Um, and I feel like that's something that Jen would know to ask. So. I, I do feel like this show had a little bit of a cheat there to have Jen be not quite as good of a lawyer as she would normally be and, and not think more of like what the opposition might be for her client uh, to get out in front of that to where Matt Murdock can just sniff jet fuel and, and beat her that easily uh, in the court case. So that there was a little bit of that that I thought, again, it doesn't do any significant harm to the episode. I was, it was just a bit of a, yeah, okay. Like there's an obvious question here that no one's asking. Well, and to me, and maybe this is what I, I put it to is that she's so emotionally like, oh, my God, oh, my God. It's like, again, when anyone's emotional and like and they have like. Yeah, but if she like, likes Luke, she should also be finding any way to defend Luke. Like that's that's fair. Like, I, I just think the emotions could, could cloud your mind. I, I That's kind of the way I took it as anyway. Yeah, no, nah, I'm, I'm calling it a cheat code. Uh, that's that's, that's, I, I think I think you're not wrong, but I, I think that's how I, I think I, they I saved it. the quick resolution to the case for the quick fair. resolution to the case. That's, that's, that's fair. That's to, fair. That's you know, that, that's where I that's what I feel like was was done there. But again, I don't really care because we do get into a lot of other great stuff uh, in the episode. And because when we get to court, Luke is waiting for his lawyer who is late. But it's a really good lawyer in Matt Murdock who shows up. And we do get a great courtroom scene. I mean, we spec we talked about this, right? I mean, with She-Hulk, this even before we knew that Matt Murdock was going to be part of this series, that because Jen's a lawyer, she could end up going being in court against Matt Murdock, which has happened in the comics. Very different case in the show, but I love that in this one episode we got Jennifer Walters versus Matt Murdock in court, and then She-Hulk versus Daredevil in a superhero fight later on in the episode. All of that in 30 minutes, that's great. Um, and as far as what they get into, I, I like the debate here because it's two people having a debate about this philosophical argument in when they have these very different positions based on just kind of how they approach their superhero life. Like it really gets into the issue of privacy because the, the main legal issue that they're debating right there is whether or not Jen can compel in discovery the list of Luke's clients because that's how she's going to hunt down anybody else who may have or uncover anybody else who may have had a defect. 
And Matt Murdock argues against it and that those clients are entitled to that privacy because if they are they are superheroes and not celebrities. And so if their identities are if it's for people who've chosen, unlike Jen, to keep their identities a secret, like Matt Murdock, uh, for those people who've chosen to keep their identities a secret, keeping that maintaining that secrecy like that is what protects the people, not just themselves, but the people around them. And of course, the judge agrees. So Matt wins that argument. Also, a key piece of his argument, a key update of a status report in the MCU, the Sokovia Accords have been repealed. They are gone now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They no longer matter, even though we've had some teases here in Phase 4 uh, that are kind of suggest that maybe they're still around. But no, now they are over and done with uh, at this point in, uh, in the She-Hulk series. So the Sokovia Accords... No longer a thing, so a key update for the broader MCU that we get in mm. this episode. But I liked this little, I, I liked the back and forth debate between Matt Murdock and Jennifer Walters and, you know, and, and just the fact that these guys are arguing about something that they don't even know they're arguing about. Or actually, I should rephrase, Jennifer Walters doesn't even know who she's really having the argument with because she doesn't know that Matt Murdock, in addition to arguing for every other superhero with a secret identity, also arguing his own posi- his own personal position right there in that courtroom. I loved I love this. And again, I mean maybe this is why I'm more forgiving of it. And like you're saying, like cheat code and everything. I, I don't think that's wrong, but I, I love this because I think again, you're doing a a reintroduction to this this daredevil character, Matt Murdoch. In the element, because we've seen him, and you know, if you're obviously a lot of people watching this have seen and love the Daredevil, rightfully the so the Netflix series. It's it's a phenomenal series, maybe one of the best, maybe one of my favorite series ever, ever. You know, besides it's being superhero related, right? But Daredevil, I think it's it's a tricky thing, and when you're 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 introducing him, reintroducing him into this in this you know broader world, finally. You have to, it's very delicate. And I know it didn't hear everyone. Well, the vocal, some people are very vocal on it. Didn't, they didn't like it, but whatever. The thing is for me as someone, I, cause I, for me, I personally, I was a little, a little trepidatious of like how they're going to introduce this aspect into the MCU. And, and Charlie Cox is a great actor. I didn't have really worry about him performing, but just the context of what the performance was in, right? That's what I was more worried about. And with this, I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll see how this, how this plays because most of the time, we saw Daredevil uh, and Matt Murdock in the Netflix stuff as very serious, right? This is a, the exact opposite. I was very pleasantly uh, confirmed of seeing a great, great performance and a, it, it, it fit perfectly. It did not matter to me. That it was not mega serious and it just felt right. Yeah. And I well, love And that monologue that he gives as Matt Murdock makes his case perfect. for secret identities and, and protecting that. That scene could come right out of the Netflix show. Absolutely. Like, well, right out of yeah. that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think Cody Ziegler is the one who wrote this episode, right? Yes. Yeah. Cody Ziegler, and I, I, I'm i not a big Rick or Morty fan. I haven't I watched a little bit. Don't hate it. Never got into it. And um, I don't know much of what uh, he's done. But I can tell you this right now that I've read some of the Spider-Man stuff. And it's on comic books. And they're great. I, I've liked a lot of them. Like Zeb Wells last week, Cody Ziegler, another comic book person here this week. Uh, I know that uh, he does also, you know, TV as well, obviously. Um, but I thought, like you said, very well said. This monologue felt totally in line with what he would be talking about in Netflix, and a lot of that is the, the delivery. And I think that just goes to the, the performances of 
the performance of, of Charlie Cox and how he embodies this character. And there's a reason they brought him back. It's, it's because the fans wanted it, but not just that he's freaking amazing. Like he's a, a phenomenal talent he is the perfect Matt Murdoch. And I, yeah, it, it, to me, it, he did a great job of, again, I talk about, I'm going to talk about bridge a lot with this. This was a perfect bridge and this was a great way that monologue exactly kind of exudes why it's great to have him in the greater MCU finally officially and seeing this in together with Jen. And then again, you're seeing it with She-Hulk. And I see this all together. I'm like, this is such a great example of how great the Marvel Universe is. We're getting this two superheroes fighting on the legal side. And we're going to get them fight eventually in the physical side. It's just great stuff. This is great execution all around. Yeah, it's super quick. It's, it's TV. It's whatever. But it really does work when you do this condensed kind of storytelling. When it's fun, it's done right. And you have the right performances. It's, it, this, to me, is a great example of it's everything is working on every level. Yeah, and I think the efficiency of it deserves that that praise that, that you mentioned there. Because, yeah, they're doing a lot here in a very short amount of time. Which is why... I can't begrudge them too harshly. I mean, I know I've called it out a little bit, but look, if they take a little bit of cheat by not having Jen ask an obvious question, okay, fine. Um, overall, though, this episode, it is done so incredibly well. And and I also think tonally, yeah, you have a scene like this that in at least in that monologue can fit very well within the Netflix series. And even some of the stuff that goes that skews lighter in this because it's She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, it's the tone of this series it still fits like it doesn't really clash in a way that that I noticed like at all. <laughs> like it all just felt very seamless going from one t- uh, shifting from one tone to another over the course of uh, over the course of the episode, because that's also just Matt Murdock. And there's lighter stuff within the Netflix series, even if it's not specifically known for that. And then, of course, Daredevil comic books over the years have shifted from darker to lighter in tone and back and forth and back and forth. It's just a thing that happens. It's part of what makes these characters so great is that they can be they can slide into these different stories with these different tonal ranges even within the same story and that's part of what makes it so fun. So um yeah, I thought the the courtroom scene was great and then we get that revelation right the the obvious question that no one was asking until Matt Murdock smells it um is that jet fuel and then of course Leapfrog admits that it was jet fuel which was against the specific manufacturer instructions that Luke Jacobson had given them uh, or had given him, and that, of course, blows the case. I also like, there was a great moment there when you talk about kind of praising the Netflix series and, and, show, and honoring that while also just having a little bit of fun with just the mythology of Daredevil and all of that stuff. When Matt Murdock is like, he's lying. Don't ask me how I know. And the judge is like, we can all tell he's lying, counselor. <laughs> like, that part was great. Uh, I really love because, yeah, that one was not one that Matt needed to uh, to brag about because, yeah, it was pretty obvious that that Eugene was lying there. Uh, but, yeah, the courtroom scene I thought was really, really well done, uh, very entertaining. And I also liked having a, a scene like that just for a quick, broader MCU call out, not just the Sokovia Accords. It was cool to see Matt Murdock advocating for secret identities and the value of that in a universe that has largely set aside the secret identity, right? Even though it's a big part of superhero tropes. And I haven't begrudged the MCU for not having a lot of secret identities because I also understand how in a lot of modern storytelling, like it's kind of a problem. It's really hard to be able to do it. And uh, so I understand why they've made different choices in the MCU, but there are still some characters for Secret that who have them and you see the value of it for them. And I know this, of course, came up a little bit 
uh, or quite a lot in Spider-Man No Way Home. But this was also just a very succinct way with a much less famous superhero who's hiding their identity and who's not been palling around with Avengers and stuff like that. And uh, Matt Murdock delivered his argument very, very well. So that was another plus for me in this scene. Uh, in the aftermath, though, after Jen has lost her case, she is drowning her sorrows at the legal ease, and Matt makes that a little easier by sending over an apple teeny. And then we get that chemistry that we can see even before Jen calls it out to us. And there's a key moment here for Matt Murdock. And I, I love that you don't just bring Daredevil in here for the fun cameo, for the fun superhero team up. He actually plays a, a key part in Jennifer Walters' character arc. What have we been talking about as far as what she's been struggling with in terms of her identity and everything else over the years, or over the, uh, not years, over the past few episodes, one of the, she's been struggling, she was struggling with embracing the She-Hulk identity. And then when she finally did that, she was having the issues of whether or not Jennifer Walters was enough uh, because everybody loved She-Hulk. And so being able to embrace both these sides of her life as one fully realized person has been uh, a little bit of a struggle for her. And she's felt like these two sides were, it was almost a, it was a, a tug of war between these two sides. It was a battle between these two sides. And Matt Murdock helps her see the harmony when he starts explaining one for them, one for us of how he uses his private practice to do a lot of good. But yes, he will take on a higher profile client like Luke Jacobson to make the money that he needs to fund everything else. And then when Jennifer Walters is talking about her own experience and Matt uh, puts the point on it perfectly, the way he sees it, Jen Walters can use the law to help people when society fails them and She-Hulk can help people when the law fails them. And so uh, Matt points out that she has the ability, uh, you know, if you can choose what path you're going to take and then Jen realizes it for herself and comes to that conclusion, be the best of both worlds. Be the best of She-Hulk and Jennifer Walters. Don't see them as two different sides. Don't see them as being in opposition to each other. See them as still one person. It's still all you, but those two different sides of your life can really actually work in harmony with one another to do the most good uh, for the most people. And that's just such a key moment for Jen that I think I don't think anybody would miss it. I mean, they do a really good job of uh, of landing on it, but uh, don't let the uh, the undeniable chemistry of Matt Murdock and Jennifer Walters uh, make you, you know, distract you from the other point. I mean, enjoy that because it's great, but also land, uh, you know, also recognize this key moment for Jennifer Walters in her character arc because this is this has been her struggle for the previous seven episodes uh, leading into this one. And so for her to come to that conclusion uh, with, uh, with of course, the help of Matt Murdock, who's been here, right? He's been doing this for a long time, not in a public way because he's got a secret identity, but having to balance two sides of a life to do the most good uh, for the most amount of people, you know, him helping her with that and then her coming to, the, you know, that last point of being the best of both worlds, I thought was really great. Yeah, I, I, I love this interaction. And I, I think this is, to me, where... I again, you, you're emphasizing the the charm of Matt Murdock. Cause we saw a lot of that in that first season. Um, I mean, we've seen it in every season, right, with with Daredevil. But I think in the first season, you see a lot of those moments between him and Karen uh, in the bar, him and Foggy. There's a lot of those great moments with him talking with people. 
uh, in that same kind of setting and atmosphere. And again, and I'm not sure if this is purposeful or if this was more just kind of a coincidence. I don't know. Either way, it works because I, I think, again, that bridge idea of really getting Matt into the character and understanding the world that he's in and helping She-Hulk you know, along. I think it, it's really cool because I don't think She-Hulk needs Daredevil to, I think, from a, a popularity standpoint, to boost her from from the show i don't think the show needed a daredevil boost in my opinion I, I really didn't i think the show's been phenomenal for the most part like you know the last couple episodes episodes have been great the wedding this episode like the last episode i uh, loved this episode's great um matt didn't need to be in it to make it good but when you have matt in here again that bridge of showing the people like this is what matt's gonna be like in this world it's not that different and really, I think giving Jen a strength and I think using Matt a really, really well, a really great way to show you what he can do and what um, and where She-Hulk is going. Like you said before, Sean, like where, where this is all leading to. And I think that's the one thing I think that's been so good about She-Hulk is that it's not this there's a, there's an overall narrative that we're, they're going towards. And it, we talk about self-discovery, things like that. And they're definitely going towards that. But it really is giving us a different uh idea of where this this whole show in general of what you can do and, and what and what they're doing with these characters and you're utilizing matt murdoch in a much different way than you know than you, you might have used him in like with punisher and with uh with daredevil necessarily you know the same idea but it's just it's just done differently and you're utilizing all these different aspects of the marvel universe like daredevil like um you know the abomination like wong and and all that stuff you're using so much of the marvel universe to enhance yourself the right way again why we love these big franchises and i think daredevil just kind of shows you this whole scene kind of shows you both the bridge and also gives you why the show I think has been so good because it really lends itself to encompass so much more of the Marvel universe than any other show that we've seen before. And I think it really is great to see this kind of in practice, um, you know, from a very small setting that we'll get to a bigger setting here in a second. But yeah, I love this scene. Yeah, this one was great, but Matt gets pulled away for business. We will soon find out about Jen is getting texts from Todd who, you know, like a lot of characters in this show, sucks. Um, well, I mean, sucks for Jen and is just a terrible person. No uh, disrespect to the actor John Bass, who does a good job playing a terrible person in Todd. So um, manipulates Jen into meeting up with him, saying, I thought this was a 24-7 operation. I'm going to have to talk to Mr. Holloway. So then Jen has to go see him. What's his problem this time? Well, he bought a Wakandan war spear, and now the Wakandans want it back, but he has the receipts because Todd is a big fan of Wakanda. He studied abroad there and all of that stuff. Uh, oh, boy. And then Todd, uh, but really, is just wanting to have a date with She-Hulk to satisfy his She-Hulk fetish. And when uh, he makes that uh, even more apparent than it already was, Jen rejects him, takes uh, takes off, and says that she was billing him for the hour. But it's... Uh, I mean, obviously highlights a very problematic situation, but at the same time, I think what it's also doing is just furthering what's the, I think, Jen's exit from GLK and H, because here she is getting manipulated because all of these clients are just threatening to call her boss. And her boss, by the way, has routinely, since since she's been there, threatened her job if they don't, if she doesn't take the cases that they want her to take. Um, and then later on at the gala, she sees Todd all buddy-buddy with Mr. Holloway, uh, this guy who just sexually harassed her at this uh, dinner meeting that he manipulated her into. So, yeah, that it's very, I think a lot of these bad things are happening, and I, I kind of hope for Mr. Holloway's sake that he 
stands up against some of this stuff. But either way, I think Jen is uh, is on her way out from GLK&H and she can set up her own practice as Matt Murdock is doing and be the best of both worlds. Uh, it seems like that's where uh, that's where things are headed. But Jen returns home only to get a call from her client, Leapfrog, who is under attack. So she comes to his defense and we get to see her in her super suit. And I love when we when she brings the car, you know, crashing to and Daredevil flies off the roof of the car. I, I love as Leapfrog throws it in reverse, just that shout out dope super suit. Because he's right. It is a really dope super suit. And we get our hero fight. So we got Jennifer Walters versus Matt Murdock in the courtroom. And now atop this parking structure, we get She-Hulk versus Daredevil. And also just in terms of timeline in the MCU, around these sets, there is a billboard for uh, Rogers the Musical. Remember, this series is in L.A., so um, that would mean that we are now a little further along in time, in theory, because now Rogers the Musical is off of Broadway. (laughs) It's now touring uh, and making its way to L.A., probably at the Pantages. So uh, we are advancing in time in the MCU, and obviously the Sokovia Accords have been repealed. Uh, but I like this fight when she all I'm going to whoop your ass. My ass remains unwhooped. Uh, and they go through this whole thing. And then, of course, she does the thing that nobody ever does, which is after you catch the mask guy, you immediately unmask them. And that is where we get the discovery for Jen uh, that Daredevil is, in fact, uh, Matt Murdock or Matt Murdock is Daredevil. She's never heard of him. Uh, does think it's daring, though, to go with ketchup and mustard as a color scheme. I thought that was really funny. Also has that moment that moment where she says, sorry, I assumed the guy dressed as a devil was the bad one. And he says, that's a fair point. Uh, really funny stuff here with the back and forth between the two of them. Really cool hero versus hero action uh, with this, uh, you know, the accidental conflicts of superheroes and stuff like that. The misunderstandings that cause these fights for a couple of pages in the comic books. All of that stuff I thought worked really, really well here. And speaking of that ketchup and mustard costume, I dig the new suit. I tend to be more in favor of just the traditional red Daredevil costume. But by the way, red and yellow, this color scheme goes all the way back to original Daredevil in the comic books. So I know there's been some uh, complaints about this and, and whatever about the suit that they're not honoring the Netflix series and all this stuff. I'm like, first off, the Netflix series don't need to be honored for their general approach to costumes, right? <laughs> they had, what, out of three seasons of Daredevil... He spent primarily only one of those seasons in a red costume. Most of the episodes, he was just wearing black shirt, black jeans, uh, black pants, black bandana, and that was it, which I know is also from the comic books, but that's not how Daredevil spends most of his time. So there really is no respect for the source material, whatever issue at play here. You either like the suit or you don't, and beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So if you don't like the red and gold or red and yellow uh, color scheme, that's totally fine, but this is not some affront to the source material. This honors the source material just as much, if not more, and quite frankly, way more than the Netflix series ever did, not just for Daredevil, but their general approach to superhero costumes overall in the time that mm-hmm. Netflix was able to work with a handful of these characters. So throw out that argument. It is dismissed, so we're not not entertaining that any more than I already have. If you just don't like the look and prefer an all-red Daredevil or red and black, totally fine. I get it. Is this the costume that I want Daredevil to wear forever and for always going forward now in the MCU? No, it's not. 
But this is a look that I'm glad they've honored, at least for a little while now in the MCU, at least for this episode. And I actually do hope that when we get to Daredevil Born Again or wherever this character pops up next, maybe it's Echo. But when we see uh, Daredevil, if we see Charlie Cox, like in not just as Matt Murdock, but in the Daredevil costume in Echo, I would like to see this costume a little while longer before, yes, inevitably Matt Murdock transitions into something else. But I think this is a, a very cool look that honors a honors an era and a design in the comic books that Netflix never would have touched. I love this costume. And I for, for, for here's the deal. You, you nailed it on the head. The Netflix should not get props for the costumes because they avoided costumes as much as possible. You're right. He pretty much spent most of his time in the Frank Miller, uh, you know, uh, Man Without Fear just bandana, black, you know, all black outfit. Though, and then again, I, I did like the the addition with like the the stuff, the ropes around his arms. I thought that was a really interesting touch in that third season. You know, fighting bullseye and everything. But you know me, I'm a big costume guy, and I was really disappointed that we didn't we didn't get him in costume again in that third season. And though I, I would admit that second season is the weakest of the three, um, I I appreciated the fact he actually was in costume majority of the time. In that season, and I think that's why I think I want always want to rewatch it is because of that main reason. Um, the yellow costume is was always uh, this is always a little ridiculous in the comic books. That's why they went with an all red, you know, just this aesthetically just wasn't they knew it wasn't really working for the character, and they kind of went with that red. I think there might be other reasons too, but either way, um, but at the same time, I think I'm, I think there is a way of trying to. Again, that, I, I bring up the bridge idea. You're, you're saying, you know, Marvel thought, okay, we we can't just bring it in one for one. We got to kind of ease people into it a little bit because, again, we, we got to show that this is a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different Daredevil. And I think it'd be, it was a fun way of uh, to basically say, hey, this is our reintroduction to the character because I do think with titles like Born Again, Sean, and I think with the Echo series coming out, I think we're going to get a transition to the red costume, a more traditional. Netflix blending of more, I think, authentic Daredevil costume in general. And I think the yellow costume is just kind of a way to kind of like, hey, let's get it out there. This is kind of it's a fun way, I think, of showing the character uh, is this is his first introduction to the Marvel Universe. And in general was the yellow costume. This is, this is the first authentic Marvel you know, cinematic universe. We should put him in the same costume. But also think about this. Aesthetically, it fits the tone of the show. It's a lot more lighthearted. So the yellow and red makes more sense in that regard so it feels like all those things together it works for me and i think it looks great i actually do i want him to wear it the whole time yeah i don't know but but i love it it's i think great. it makes sense in another way too like even if you include now they don't they really don't like directly include the plot of the netflix show in this right like it's what you and i always thought it would be take it or leave it you know for the netflix stuff it's not it's absolutely 100% canon, or but it's also not blatantly contradicted to where it can't be canon. But if you want to think about it in your own head and, and piece things, th these things together, Daredevil needed a very different looking suit because the one that he had was used by Bullseye to commit a bunch of murders and stuff and do a lot of bad things. So if he's going to reclaim the Daredevil identity, it, That's did, a great point. it needed to be a very like that illustrates the need for a new suit which is why he's getting a new suit in this series and also why it should look so different so if anything i i think that you're honoring the source material because this is part of it and it is part of daredevil's history from the beginning quite literally 
So you have that part of it. And also, it actually does sync up with the need for a different look. And actually, you might want, a, if you're Charlie Cox thinking about, or not Charlie Cox, Matt Murdock, thinking about your superhero branding, a lighter approach for a little while, probably valuable, considering what a lot of people started thinking of uh, Daredevil by the time you get through that third season. So makes all the sense in the world to me, uh, whether even if you wanted to think of the Netflix series as canon, like it, it syncs up all the better with this costume. So I think it works on a lot of different levels. And yes, just beauty being in the eye of the beholder visually, I love this costume. I think it looks really cool. Not the costume that I want forever and for always, but when we look back across the lineage of live action Daredevil as played by Charlie Cox, I'm going to be very glad. I am very glad and will continue to be glad that this suit uh, is and was and forever will be a part of it. So it, it's good stuff. Really quick. I, one last thing. I just want to add, I do think we'll probably get this costume in um, an Echo I think it'll be continued into that. And I think it'll go into Born Again. Yeah. But because Born Again's so long, I think, again, it's going to come that oh, natural. Yeah. He'll get he'll get destroyed. He'll, he'll be Born Again as the yes. Red Daredevil. It'll yes. be amazing. 100%. So I'm 1,000% into this. Yeah. I, I fully, I do not expect this to, this to survive all 18 episodes of Born Again. It's not going to happen. But uh, for as long as they want to have Daredevil in this suit, I'm going to enjoy it because it's a really cool suit. So uh, then we get to the lily pad, which, boy, for a uh, superhero lair to just be so loudly branded, uh, just a amazing. Obviously, uh, Leapfrog taking lessons from S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, so I, I love when he's, he's talking through Luke, who whom Leapfrog has kidnapped, about what he wants in the suit. Great line about wanting a fancy AI with a British voice that talks to you, because uh, that's certainly a thing in the MCU. So love that. I love when he's thinking about branding uh, his guys there, his leap squad, all of that. Meanwhile, uh, up top on the roof, we have Daredevil and She-Hulk, or Daredevil and, and Jen, talking about goons versus henchmen. Goons there for the paycheck. Henchmen believe in the cause. So obviously nobody down there believes in Leapfrog's cause. So that's going to make them goons. And Matt knows exactly how many people are there because he can hear their heartbeats. He can also hear Jen's, and it's beating really fast. And she uh, doesn't like that, uh, that uh, Matt was able to pick up on that. She describes herself as being really healthy, but that's not why her heart was beating so fast. And we'll follow up on that, of course, before this episode is done. And then they have their debate of strategy. And as I mentioned before, this was the, the clip that they showed us at D23 Expo. And all of this, I, I, I really liked, again, the chemistry between... Tatiana Maslany and Charlie Cox, it's just undeniable. But then also where this is in terms of the superhero stuff and, and the different approach that they have to take. Like if you're a Hulk, you smash. Uh, if you are Daredevil and you've got some heightened abilities, but you're certainly not invulnerable, as we saw many times in the Daredevil Netflix series, you have to uh, favor the stealth approach that Matt uh, argues for atop that roof. So I love the philosophical argument continuing for these superheroes. First, it was about secret identities. Now, it's just about tac the tactical approach to taking out some goons and, and handling a situation. And even when Jen tries to say, well, that's my thing, and he's like, you don't have a thing. You don't do this. Uh, <laughs> you know, just calling out her, frankly, fair uh, inexperience as, uh, as a superhero. She hasn't been doing a whole lot of this, but Matt Murdock has been doing this for a while, whether you're factoring in the Netflix history or just some other mythical MCU history that you're adding to the equation here. Uh, but the debate up top uh, on the roof about all of these things, goons versus henchmen, stealth versus smash, 
all of that worked really well. Yeah, this was, uh, again, showing the chemistry between the characters. And I, I it really shows you that Charlie Cox fits perfectly in this lighthearted area. And it's not just have to be dark and brooding and like drinking and, and being by himself, you know, while he's just staring off into space, you know, you know, in, in, in anger or in, in sadness. That this character fits the aesthetic of comedic timing perfectly. And I just love that. It, again, to me, that's the actor. I, I don't think every actor could transition from that to this, but because Charlie Cox is such a great, phenomenal actor, that he's just—it's just—it's a smooth transition, and I think that is the secret weapon of all of this, in my opinion. That why there's not a lot. Of, to me, I have—I've seen some revolt, but it hasn't been a huge revolt. And I think the main reason why is because Charlie Cox is so good, and he—he takes—he elevates the material like all great performers do. And yeah, I, I think this was just a, great, a feather in the cap of Marvel being like, you know what? We did the right thing. We got Charlie Cox back. And this is a great, this is a great reason why this guy, we know this guy can do drama, but he can do comedic timing too. This is fantastic. So yeah, I, I loved seeing Charlie just have that lightheartedness that we've seen already just exudes more in this uh, whole sequence. Yep. And if you want to know just how much respect there is from Jessica Gao, Kat Coiro, Cody Ziegler, Kevin Feige and company. If you want to know how much respect there is for the Daredevil Netflix series, and maybe not for every aspect of it, but certainly for a lot of it, and Charlie Cox's Daredevil and that whole approach, what did they give Daredevil in this episode? A classic Daredevil hallway fight. That's what we get in this episode when he goes down into the lily pad. Like, I flipped for that because, of course, I mean, famously, what was like the moment of arrival for Daredevil? I mean, the episode and, and I'm not comparing the quality of the action or anything like that. This isn't that crazy one shot from the end of episode two in uh, the first season of Daredevil with that hallway fight that is legendary and iconic. It wasn't trying to recreate any of the, any of those things, but just knowing this is kind of a thing and this was a staple of the Daredevil Netflix series. And so the She-Hulk hero versus hero fight aside that was really more Daredevil just trying to escape, the first real Daredevil fight that you get in this is a hallway fight. Uh, I really thought that was a very cool, fun homage tribute to what came before and, and where this version of Daredevil came from. And uh, so I, I absolutely loved that. And of course, it was both approaches, right? It was the stealth approach and the way that Daredevil attacked versus She-Hulk smash uh, as Jen just uh, shows up. That part was really, really great. And then when they get into the main hideout area, I love that Leapfrog has a Frogger arcade cabinet. That's amazing. And I, I love the uh, you know, everything about that sequence. They're taking out all the goons. They're debating what would be the best legal defense because Leapfrog is still Jen's client. So what's going to be the best legal defense? temporary insanity or some reaction to post-traumatic stress or whatever it may be. Um, none of that really matters, though, because Leapfrog just tries to take off and then it doesn't go well and then he's going to have to go to the hospital and then to uh, to jail. Meanwhile, uh, Jen is able to make amends with Luke because now she has helped save him, so that means he's, he, he's still going to make her dress for the gala and whatever else she may need uh, in the future. So before we get to the superhero hookup, just this action sequence I, I thought was great. And and as I said, I, I flipped for them giving Daredevil a hallway fight. That was a nice touch. That was a, that was a great homage and nod to everybody. And I thought it, it worked out. 
it worked out great because it was that, but then, you know, you have Jen come in and this is the stuff I love about superheroes, especially with Marvel comics. I think they really embrace like the, the two heroes team up and crossing over. And I know like DC did that stuff before, but Marvel really integrated, you know, that whole idea of a shared, you know, universe of, you know, characters and they're all in the same area. And, and I just love to see that these people interacting together, and it's just—it was just really cool to see this this idea of these two superheroes working, collaborating. It felt very much like like what I'd be reading as a comic as a kid, man. Like it really did. And again, it makes no surprise that Ziggler, who writes comics too, and, and is a fan of comics, and so like it all makes sense, and it all feels very much like a a one shot, twenty two page monthly issue where hey, Daredevil's in this comic, cool, and then like it's it's a really fun comic to read, and just like a comic book that I, the comics that I love. The show very much echoes that um, and gives a great uh, a great guest appearance and seeing them all team up a little bit and having a great conclusion. The, the, the lawyer stuff was perfect. Oh my god, that was perfect. Um, loved it. Like this is this really was a yeah. great great team up episode. And even calling out like Daredevil's kind of giving away his secret identity, and then when uh, Leapfrog is is like, "Are you a lawyer?" and he's like, "No, I just watch a lot of legal dramas or whatever." That uh, that 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 got a laugh out loud for me. I. All of that sequence was just so much fun. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the resolution, they go, they're back up on the roof and Jen is talking to Matt. He doesn't stick around and talk to the cops, kind of a secret identity sort of thing that she wouldn't understand. And they acknowledge this chemistry that they have. And, oh, no, Matt's going to have to go back to New York. But maybe, just maybe, when he's back in town, he could, uh, you know, he and Jen could go to dinner. And then, so they they tease this whole thing of like, okay, so... This conversation feels like it's setting up a Daredevil appearance in a second season of She-Hulk or Jennifer Walters showing up in Daredevil Born Again. And maybe those things will happen. But as far as uh, but we don't have to wait for that to get the hookup because then just says, oh, yeah, or we could skip all that. And we get the hookup of Daredevil and She-Hulk, Matt Murdock and Jen Walters that is capped off perfectly with what gave me probably the hardest laugh I've had the entire series. And that's saying something because I've laughed pretty hard at a lot of the stuff or with a lot of the stuff and a lot of the jokes that they've made throughout uh, throughout this series. But the Daredevil walk of shame was classic, especially like barefoot with his boots in his hand, the whole thing, wishing the woman good morning as he walks by. I was rolling for the Daredevil walk of shame. That was amazing. Also great when Nikki shows up that she acknowledges that and calls out that that's exactly what it was, a walk of shame. And then, you know, Jen, was that Jen's hookup? And yes, it was. And, and we're and we're happy. Yes, we're happy. I like that Nikki's checking in on Jen and making sure that Jen's good. So that was cool. But the, the walk of shame, that was just out, outrageously funny. That was probably the one of the funniest things of the series. And like you said, like this series has been, especially in the last, I think, I think three episodes um, specifically have really upped the comedy and really made me laugh out loud a lot. This might be the best one because it's a perfect setup of a character. Cause again, you have, you bring in your, I say baggage, but you bring in the baggage of the dark gritty Netflix stuff of daredevil. And you've kind of, again, I bring up the bridge, you bridge a gap of a little bit more lighthearted and, and it's all, and I think it works. It really does work well, especially when you have, you know, the daylight stuff and you have to fight at night. So you establish all this. So then to end it on the last thing we see of Matt Murdock or Daredevil is Daredevil in costume doing the walk of shame with his boots off in hand, saying good morning. Walk with, with just a straight, you know, wide, medium wide shot of them, of him walking. Oh my, I lost it. 
Like I, it was such a perfect setup, you know, chef's kiss, kudos to everyone, anyone who came up with that idea. That was perfect setup. Uh, I loved it. And I got to tell you, the costume looks good in daytime too, man. Yeah, like, it good. Like legitimately, like I think we could be seeing Daredevil in daytime uh, with that costume. And I think it works really, really well. So just throwing it out there for when we get Echo and Born Again. Yeah, no, it looks great uh, at night and uh, in the morning, even with a walk of shame. No shame in that costume. I'll, I'll say that <laughs> because, yeah, it looked great. So the episode continues, much to Jen's surprise, as she acknowledges, like, what are we still doing here? This episode should be over. That was a perfect little conclusion to it. So she detects that something is about to happen. And, oh, it's a time for the Female Lawyer of the Year gala, which means it's a tacked-on set piece near the end of the season. So a twist is coming, and she wonders if it's going to be another Hulk, but this one's red, or if she's getting fridged. And so we get to the gala. Turns out Jen is one of many female lawyers of the year. Uh, Mallory Book is also one. And then Intelligentsia strikes while Jen is on stage, revealing the information that they found on her phone. Also, a hidden cam sex tape of Jennifer and Josh. And then, uh, and of course, Jen's parents are there to celebrate her. And so they are witnessing all of this. And She-Hulk gets mad and breaks apart the screen, chases down some of the intelligentsia goons or henchmen, depending on how strongly they believe in the cause. Uh, and it's in front of everybody. And she looks back at the camera with just that, oh, shit, uh, kind of look of, of what now after all of this has been revealed. And uh, Intelligentsia went for a response, and they were able to get it. They got the savage She-Hulk sort of response, although, frankly, Jen's entire reaction to that is completely understandable, considering the violation that she just suffered with everything that happened in that room. So I don't really hold that against Jen. I don't really know that she's crossed some terrible line here or whatever. I know they tease some other stuff of like She-Hulk caused a lot of property damage. She had to go leave a note at the parking structure and she was chucking some people's cars who were probably bummed to find out about that after her fight with Daredevil. But uh, this moment right here, eh, I, I, I don't know. Jen was definitely the one who was wronged here in the, obviously, uh, severely wronged in, in this situation. But... Um, this I, I like the whole structure of this, though. I, I like that Jen gets the chance to kind of call out the formula of this. Like, OK, well, if we didn't just end on the happy note that Jen, that She-Hulk and Daredevil hooked up, we must be setting up a twist for things to go bad leading into the finale. And I like that she they flat out called out all of our very obvious speculation throughout the series. Right. Like, oh, we've been talking about a Red Hulk. So is that what's going to happen at some point in this series? I don't know if that's happening in the series. I do still think it's on the way because we know that they got She-Hulk's blood and that's going to turn into things in the MCU, whether it's just next week or going forward. Considering there's only one roughly half-hour episode left, I think a lot of the things that we have speculated about, Paul, are being saved for other things. Like At this point, I'm not super confident that the leader is going to be somebody who gets presented in a big way next week. Like toward the end for a mid credit scene as like the real guy who's behind Intelligentsia, I could see that. It does seem a little late in the game to try and suggest that the leader is a primary antagonist in this show. Um, to not introduce him at all in this, uh, you know, not even, because there's no mid or post credit scene for this episode either. So 
I don't know that you would have Dr. Samuel Stearns make his big return and be the main bad guy for Jennifer Walters to battle, especially when we already know that he's on to other things in Captain America New World Order. So introduce this guy's existence next week as a te- as a like a throwing it to the future tease for the MCU. Yeah, that seems to make sense. But I, I think now we got to focus more, at least I am anyway, shifting my focus back inward on this series and the characters we've seen before. I think mm-hmm. given the social presence of Intelligentsia, I, I think we're going to find out that Titania is, is very strongly involved in yep. this. And mm-hmm. that may be the main antagonist. And maybe, maybe Blonsky. I hope not. I really hope not. No, no. <laughs> I really hope it's not Blonsky. Uh, I would prefer it be Titania. And then Jen resolves her battle with Titania. And then we find out as the MCU audience that, oh, yeah, there's something even bigger going on here. Uh, that Jen doesn't even know about yet, and that's Dr. Samuel Stearns and, and anybody else who may be involved in Intelligentsia and are going to be, obviously, big parts of other things going forward. I mean, I, I mean, hey, look, if we actually do get another Hulk and this one's red next week, great. If we get the leader next week, great. But those won't necessarily be things I'm, I'm counting on. An upgraded Titania, and then, uh, you know, but we're left with the feeling that, that more things will happen with Intelligentsia as the MCU goes forward. I think that, um, first of all, this was very uncomfortable and, and just seeing Jen get violated like that was just so brutal, you know? And oh, like, absolutely. It, it was, it was cause I, I gotta tell you, I felt again, good setup. I, this is why I think this episode's so good because also the setups, like all the setups with Daredevil, but also with the client from, you know, that her sexual harasser for the, at the dinner and all that, yeah, it's it, that's kind of meant to be. It was I was uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but but also it's meant for like laughs and, and showing she helps. I'm gonna put up that crap, you know, all that good stuff. But it also kind of sets you up for the fact that I think to like even make you more uncomfortable and to even more like, oh my god, like this is what Jen has to deal with. Yeah, well, um, I think you know, I, I think it's a good point. Like just calling out the way you know Todd's presence there affects it, right? Because it's like. Mm-hmm this is what it leads to. Like, this is how it escalates. So it's like, you know, Todd is doing these terrible things and Jen just has to put up with it. And so from a professional standpoint or whatever it may be, and she absolutely shouldn't have to put up with it. And then like, and it just kind of escalates from like, this is the kind of environment that, uh, you know, or these are the types of environments that, you know, women have to work within and they, no one should ever have to work within that, that type of space. And then when you see like what it, you know, what it escalates to with Jen and, and the same thing, like, and nobody really, like, that's the other horrible thing is like, nobody really stands up for her, like as that's happening. Right. And, you know, like Jen just, you know, has to defend herself. Like, that's what, like nothing she did was that bad. Like she tore down the screen. Well, the screen was showing like, obviously a very private moment for her, <laughs> like was never supposed to be that was never ever supposed to be seen. Like it was a moment, you know, obviously it's a, it's something, a situation that's very private and intimate that she's not aware she's being filmed. And so like that shouldn't be on there. Like there's nothing wrong with her ripping down that screen. Like the only difference between her and anybody else is she has the ability to do it as she Hulk. And then of course, you know, then she goes after obviously guys who are affiliated with intelligentsia and we're filming her whole reaction to this, uh, to this violation that that they were putting upon her. So her response to it, like, I know the idea of the scene was, and it's not really a criticism, like, because I know that this is how this stuff works, right? But 
it's like the idea is that she's lost control and, you know, this is the She-Hulk and the world seeing She-Hulk for who she is and, and all of that stuff. But frankly, everything that she did there was a reasonable response that was heightened by, of course, her abilities as She-Hulk. But, you know, quite frankly, her her being enraged by that is, uh, you know, that, that tracks with me and I think just about any reasonable individual. Like, yeah, that's pretty enraging. Yeah, and I think that to me is where I... I just was, I felt uncomfortable and I, I felt for Jen. And like you said, like to me, I, I think the whole point was to basically obviously get her to react, but I think to show the world that there is the Hulks have this, this angry side. And I think that that to me is what the, the point of it was to get under her skin and to make her so have her react, destroy things. So then even though she's, I think most people would defend what she did to an yeah, extent. I mean, that's not Hulk anger. That is, Pure, right. That's, that's regular person anger, like to right. be angry about that situation. Yeah. But, obviously, the difference is the power level. Exactly. And I think that's what they're going to be using against her again. And I'm curious how she's going to turn that again around, because I think there's going to be some kind of justification, a legal, you know, index episode, I'm assuming anyway. And like you said, I think Titania is the bad guy. What I do think is she's going to be with Wrecking Crew as well. I think the Wrecking Crew, we have the record already kind of throughout the, se- the series so far. There is going to be that angle of the intelligentsia are a part of it. I don't think Blonsky is. I, I just don't think so. I think the, the record was probably there as like a, a side. Like, oh, I'm on, you know, I just kind of can't, he's, uh, in, what's the word I'm looking for? He's, uh, he's, he's, he's almost an, a man on the inside, if you will, of that, to make sure they had someone on the inside with that kind of overseeing things. But I definitely think that I'm hoping the Wrecking Crew gets come, if they don't come back next episode, they come back with like their normal, like awesome, like costumes and, and power level. If not next episode, I would not be shocked. But I get the same time with Titania, you're kind of establishing with her loose connection with the Wrecking Crew. I think there is probably a potential there. Um, I just love doing- the idea that Titania would be the run- one running this show against She-Hulk for Intelligentsia, because I would also guess that a lot of the dudes don't know that it's a woman who's actually giving them their marching orders like that. Yeah, that's the part that I would absolutely love is that point. It, it's yeah. a woman who is manipulating the misogyny of these dopes. Um, the, I don't like what Titania did with it, obviously, with what happened there with Jen. But that little piece of it, I, I think, would be, you know, a, a good way for the the show to do and have another call out and, you know, another clap back to a lot of the people who've been critical of the show from the very inception of the show. So, um, yeah, like I, I, and I also just think from a storytelling perspective, yeah, we're, we're getting past the point with only one episode left. You can't really just keep blowing up the balloon. You have to focus on the pieces that you have to create a more satisfying, uh, resolution. Well, again, because it's the MCU, there's always other there's always more to it as you peel back the layers and you yep. find out that there are other threats that are looming. And that is where you get into the Dr. Samuel Stearns and potentially Red Hulk and whatever else uh, of it all. That's where some of that stuff, I, I think, eventually comes into it. But, yeah, I, I thought this scene, it was uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable by design. So I, I thought mm-hmm. it was uh, effective in that respect. And I, I do think it, you know, it, it sets up for a, a finale that. That creates a, a lot of things. Obviously, the conflict with Intelligentsia and whoever's behind it, Titania and or whoever else, all of that is very well set up. But also, you know, the look from Holloway uh, after he sees what Jen is doing as She-Hulk. And it does kind of make me think, well, I guess turns out Holloway, you know, 
with all those red flags, Holloway really does suck because instead of feeling like he seems more horrified by She-Hulk than feeling sympathetic toward Jen. So be interested to see what his response is. I kind of hope he makes the mistake of firing Jen and then she just sues the crap out of GLK and H and she uses all that money to set up her own private practice and and help people and be the best of both worlds as Jennifer Walters and She-Hulk. But uh, yeah, I thought this was, um, you know, a very heavy ending and, you know, for calling itself out as being attacked on set piece, I thought it was even, you know, bigger and more meaningful than that. So, you know, kudos to the show uh, on on that front. But uh, overall, this episode, I thought was really, really strong throughout. Um, yeah, it ended on a very, uh, very heavy note. But also throughout the episode, there was a lot of really great emotional, meaningful moments for Jen within her character arc. And then just so much fun to be had with the She-Hulk Daredevil team up and hook up and the chemistry between Tatiana Maslany and Charlie Cox. So many different ways in which this episode was working so, so well. And that's why uh, it is my favorite. And I, it does bring me back to kind of as you were mentioning before. Yeah, the finales haven't always been that great i mean there's not i can't think of a finale that is my favorite episode of any of these series maybe Mm -hmm. loki but even then i'm not sure so and and i think i've I've liked some finales more than i know i definitely like the wandavision finale more than you did i really like that finale but we have consistently seen like the second to last episode uh, being the best one and this is the second to last episode so I, I am kind of hoping that they can go even stronger. I know it may be hard to do that without Daredevil and, and some of the other things, but um, I don't know. Tatiana Maslany is pretty great as She-Hulk all by herself. So I, I do think she can carry it to being the best episode, but it also doesn't have to be. Like my favorite episode doesn't have to be the finale in order for the series to be great, in order for it to be a great individual episode as a finale. I, I do just hope it's, a, even if it's not my favorite, even if it's not the best one yet, be great if it's those things. But even if not, just want it to be a really strong episode on its own. And, and I think it will be because they've certainly provided uh, a really strong setup with the end of this one. Yeah, I, I love this episode. I I thought they did a great job ex- setting everything up. I just hope that there isn't the I don't think they're going to reveal the leader or, or anyone like that uh, at the end of this episode next next week. I think it's probably going to be Titania be the like the she'll be the face that everyone thinks that it, you know, yeah. she'll be, she'll act like it's her, but really it'll be the leader under who'll be overseeing her and she'll be, just be a part of the intelligentsia. Yeah. Which I, is, which, I think it's, yeah. I, I think it's going to be like either very end of the episode or mid or post credit scene. Is, I agree. Is the 1000%. leader reveal. Yep. I agree. 1000%. I th- and I think that's fair. I think it, it works. I want to see a good tight. I want to see an upgraded power, uh, power Titania versus she'll fight next week. Have she'll come, she'll come, uh, come out on top and then set up her next adventure, and then yeah, I'm ready to to keep going because I and I'm, I'm really hoping they get we get another season of She-Hulk. I, I love this. I, I think to me that there is some good, there's mostly good. There's some there are some not always great you know aspects of the show, but for the most part, I think there's some great foundation built here, and they need to keep building it. I think second season needs to happen. So I, I hope we get it, and I can't wait for the next week's next season's or next season next week's finale. Yeah, I also am rooting for another season of this because I, I think. The season two setup is right there. I mean, like now I want to see if season one is GLK and H. Well, season two needs to be best of both worlds with Jen Walters at her own practice. And that was, you know, which is more, you know, if this is more of the Dan Slot run with the whole GLK and H thing, then the next one can be more of the Charles Soule run, which is when she did have her private practice. So they have 
the setup for all of that, uh, for all of this to continue. And I certainly hope that it does. And it would be a lot of fun to watch as this series has been through eight episodes and should be all the way through the finale next week, which we will be excited to talk about once we have that episode next week. But that is it for this week's edition of MCU Fan Show. Thank you all so much for your continued support in listening to the podcast. Make sure you check out Fan Show Plus at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. If you search for Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel, you can find it there. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MCU Fan Show. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please follow my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. We have plenty of MCU content on there. There's a really fun Daredevil Yellow uh, uh, comic book review we did, kind of retrospect, uh, retrospective, excuse me, um, that you could check out if you really dug this episode and the costume like I did. So go check that out, uh, out on there and all other stuff. And yeah, uh, we'll hope to subscribe and I'd really appreciate that. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.